This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Hey everyone, it's Victoria Madian from the Vibrant Raw Living Podcast. I'm Vegan Danielle from the Specialty Produce Network. We're so excited San Diego Restaurant Week is coming. Join Specialty Produce in celebrating 180 restaurants over eight days. It's all happening this year from January 21st to January 28th. For those of you looking for plant-based options, one of our favorite restaurants, Cafe Gratitude, happens to be on the list. Go to www.sandiegorestaurantweek.com for more information. Select the drop-down menu under Type of Food and click Vegan to display other restaurants with vegan options. Don't forget to use the hashtag SDRW on social media in all of your delicious food photos and enjoy all our local San Diego chefs have to offer. Welcome to Vibrant Raw Living. I'm your host, Victoria Madian. Join me on a journey of discovering your infinite potential. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Gidis Litvitis of I Love the Climb on Instagram, and I'm so excited to have him on. Thank you so much for joining, Gidis. Yeah, my pleasure. This is my first ever podcast to be to be interviewed on. I'm super stoked. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure. All right, so let's start out. Where are you originally from? Well, I was born in Konos, Lithuania, so actually in Europe. Lithuania is a small country. It was um, originally part of the Soviet Union, but I think somewhere in the late Nine, uh, 1900s, um, they split off from the Soviet Union, so now it's just their own separate country in Eastern Europe. And um, I ended up moving to the main uh, to the U.S. when I was about six years old. Me and mm-hmm. my family moved to the suburbs of Chicago, and I grew up there for most of my childhood. And what was that journey like? And um, you know, the culture shock. I'm sure, like you know, changing schools, getting used to a new environment. What was that whole process like for you? Yeah, so it's definitely for my parents. It was a big contrast. Yeah. Um, but for me, I was just going with whatever was happening, you know. Yeah. And I was, I seemed to be really uh, adapting to everything. I never really felt culture shock, even at okay. even at in my earliest memories. As a young child, you know, I, I adapted everything pretty well, but I, I do remember that there was, you know, language barriers, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. You know, me and my whole family did not know how to speak English. Mm-hmm. I was going into a school, you know, an English school. I, I remember I probably failed first first grade or second grade. I actually had to go to summer school because there was such a big language barrier. Um, I, I didn't know how to spell in English. So there was definitely that that growing period mm-hmm. I had to overcome. Um, and then me and my family just having to, you know, create a life here in a new country where we moved into a studio apartment early on. I mean, one bedroom, me and my brother were sleeping on a couch. Um, we were wearing like oversized thrift clothes. So grew up, you know, through some 
through some, you know, hard times, through mm-hmm. some struggle. Yeah. But to me at the time, I mean, it all just seemed normal. Like this was my life. But now looking back, I saw like, where me and my family were coming coming from we were really coming from the dirt and um so yeah we we were just trying to yeah that was a big culture shock and we were doing our best we can to make a living there was there any major motivation that like why your parents wanted to come to america was it just like the process of coming to america or were there other socio political things going on in lithuania that they really wanted to get out of um I guess, what was the inspiration for that move taking place? Right. So there was no real political issues um, that at least I knew of. Mm-hmm. I think everything was sound and everything was, it was great. But, you know, just like for most countries around the world, like moving to America is like a dream. Yeah. It seems like that's the place where there's the most opportunity. Mm-hmm. So anytime, if we had an opportunity to move there, we'd do it, no doubt about it. And that's exactly what happened. We got this opportunity by winning a green card. Because, of course, oh, you can't nice. just move to a country. Yeah, we can't, you obviously can't move to a country without, um, you know, being a citizen. So right. we ended up winning a green card. There's like a lot, there was this lottery going on. And, and one day I was just hanging around the, the yard in Lithuania and like, picked up this big envelope, took it to my parents, and then they they opened it up and they saw that we won this lottery to win a green card and um, ended up having an opportunity to move to the U.S. and apply for citizen, citizenship later on. That's really cool. I mean, I know my dad is from Iran and originally, like, you know, he's an immigrant, um, first generation in the U.S. And I know, you know, he talks about when he was younger living in Iran, like even though he loved living there, like moving to the U.S. was always a dream for him. And, you know, he lived in France for a while afterwards, but he left due to the revolution happening in Iran and, you know, eventually came to um, live in Paris for a while before coming to the United States. But he always talks about you know, coming to the United States being like just a homecoming, like he just was so happy to be able to be here and that um, it was such a dream for him, the whole process of being able to come here. So, um, yeah, he. I think that gratitude um, for a lot of people who are not necessarily born in America is something that I feel like we can all think about you know, on a day-to-day basis a little bit more and really appreciate, you know, for those of us who are American citizens or, you know, who were born here, that, like, we have a huge advantage and something really to be grateful for um, because there's a lot of opportunity here. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I I get a lot of my friends coming over to Hawaii, and I'm like, oh, like, are you getting ready to to settle down and, and move here and live here long term. And they're like, no, I, uh, I live in Canada and mm-hmm. I only got six months here and I got to fly right. back. And then thinking like where I was born and yeah. like now having a citizenship in the U S and having access to Hawaii makes me feel yeah so, so grateful. Totally. Were there any like major events that you recall from your childhood that helped really kind of shape you into who you are today? Yeah, definitely. So growing up, I was a big athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, athletics just are in my blood. You know, I was the kind of kid that, you know, wasn't into art. I wasn't into playing music. I was just a natural athlete. That's what I loved mm-hmm. doing. So, so sports really shaped me 
to who I am today, no doubt about it. It's taught me that discipline. It's taught me that grind. It's taught me how to put hard work to achieve something. Mm-hmm. You know, just have, you know, playing soccer with my friends and just getting emotional about losing a game and, and, and those kind of, you know, moments mm-hmm. uh, in my childhood were really special to me. Um, and then, yeah, and then, yeah, I became a skateboarder and I put a lot of time into that. At a point, you know, I was definitely thinking about being a professional skateboarder and was putting a lot of effort into that. And mm-hmm. it, it definitely taught me how to grind and work because, you know, what what I was doing on a skateboard was, was trying, the, the way you'd be a professional skateboarder is you'd film tricks. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd, you'd go out to wherever you're going to film a trick and you'd put maybe four hours into landing this trick right. to get like 10 seconds, 10 second, 10 seconds of footage. Right. So then put in a, a three minute montage. So, um, so sometimes I was putting like I was in a battle trying to get a trick and I was jumping down a set of stairs for for maybe four hours. So that really taught me how to, you know, how to work. So so just athletics really, uh, really shaped me who I am today. No doubt about it. Totally. I mean, I can relate to like the amount of rehearsal time that goes into something before you get that you know, little bit of footage that you want. I mean, for me, growing up as a competitive dancer, you know, there'd be hours, like hundreds of hours of rehearsals in the studio before you get two minutes on stage to perform a routine or a piece. So it's like, definitely, I think that's the same way in life too. I mean, people sometimes see that little clip or that picture or that, you know, routine or whatever for whatever's being displayed, but you have to realize there was so much time that went into that creation and um, no to not think everything comes so easy because <laughs> it definitely doesn't. Um, yeah. So were there any other like major challenges you had to work through growing up, you know, through like teenage years, getting into your 20s and stuff? I mean, you're still fairly young, but I mean, were there any major yeah. challenges that you dealt with during that time that you can look back on, um, maybe just, you know, gaining maturity, um, coming into being a young man? Like, were there any things that you went through, even like peer-wise, that um, that you look back yeah, yeah. on? Yeah. Yeah, two main events that I recall. Well, one of them was like a physical injury. Mm-hmm. So when I was um, about 12 years old, um, I was sent to the eye doctor from a school eye test, yeah. eye exam. And um, they sent me to the eye doctor. So there ended up being more comp- complicated problems than I perceived than just, you know, bad vision. I ended up having a torn retina in my oh, left shoot. eye. Mm-hmm. So that led to like a retina surgery. Wow. And uh, that ended up leading, after the surgery, I ended up getting a cataract. So a cataract developed. I still haven't... Um, gotten surgery to I had still haven't gotten cataract surgery which basically uh you know brings your vision back to normal so right mm-hmm. now in my left eye and ever since I've been 12 years old I've I can barely see out of my left eye so I've got like zero twenty 20 vision in my left eye something that people don't know about me mm-hmm. um so that was a bit of an adversity um but I still live a normal life mm-hmm. I mean Mainly when I look over my left shoulder when I'm riding my bike, mm-hmm. I just don't have clear vision of if there's a car behind me, which can be a struggle and a disadvantage. And then the other 
um, challenges growing up was, you know, and of course everyone has this challenge. They're trying, you know, a lot of kids or, you know, a lot of teenagers try to find their identity and find out who they are and what the purpose is on on this planet. And I felt like early on I was on that search to see who I, who I was and what I was meant to do here. Mm-hmm. So I started becoming super experimental and, and my personality is super obsessive and super addictive, you know, and then getting into drinking alcohol and smoking weed and taking Adderall um, became a part of my life when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And that obsessive addictive behavior, I definitely abused those substances. I was coming into school definitely stoned or even drunk sometimes Mm -hmm. like on a consistent basis I was like a 16 year old kid that I was like drinking like during the daytime by myself so anything that was stimulating to me I got hooked on Mm -hmm. so and overcoming those challenges all leads to veganism yeah and helping uh you know redirect my path in this life I mean, do you have any advice for kids? Because I feel like that's a part of like teenage culture, honestly, and like a lot of different per- or like places in the world that a lot of people do get into a lot of that type of behavior, and it can be for a variety of reasons. I mean, did you ever kind of pinpoint what those reasons were for you, or do you have any advice for kids that might be looking for some healthier coping mechanisms to? think like, okay, yeah, maybe there's a lot of kids that are doing this, but what can I do for myself to maybe deal with, you know, my emotions or these changes that I'm going through in uh, my life or creating a healthy social environment for myself so that those things aren't a part of it. Right, right. So th- that brings it to to more in depth of, of why I began drinking and mm-hmm. smoking and, and, and uh, consuming all these toxic substances. Yeah. You know, it's mainly because of this addictive behavior, but at the same time, you know, I had insecurities. I right. wasn't, I wasn't truly happy with who I was. Mm-hmm. I remember a lot of the time, I would smoke or drink, just to be a more social, a more confident person, mm-hmm. and and not just to the the extent of like at a social gathering, but like just being at school. You know, I was, yeah. you know, growing up until about sixth grade. Um, I was super talkative. I was engaged. I was engaged socially. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to middle school, I kind of like shut down and became a super introvert, became super quiet. And and that kind of was like depressing. Yeah. And um, I got to a point where I, I, I realized I didn't want that and I couldn't find my voice naturally. So mm-hmm. I started consuming these substances to like come into school higher, come into school on Adderall and just be talkative and, and be able to uh, have a good time and connect with other kids. Um, but that obviously wasn't going to be sustainable. So mm-hmm. um, the best thing for me was just, um, you know, to, you know, starting to practice uh, new habits that are, that are, you know, boost my confidence that, uh, you know, boost my self-esteem and, and that led to, veganism that mainly lend to veganism and um just learning about spirituality Mm -hmm. um and so i you know i started watching dan mcdonald the life regenerator on youtube i started watching like abraham hicks and Mm -hmm. and these spiritual teachers and and that kind of helped me grasp a little bit more of um what this life was about Mm -hmm. and um 
it kind of, you know, it kind of uh, gave me faith back in uh, in daily reality and, and not having to rely on any substances. So it kind of opened me up. I was definitely like a really unique, that made me super unique because the topics I was talking about with other people were just probably like totally far-fetched and they probably couldn't understand if I was talking about like you know manifestation that Abraham Hicks talks about like Mm -hmm. they had no clue about that but for me it gave me something to be excited about when I was sober when Mm -hmm. I was you know just going throughout my day naturally yeah thinking of the positive things you can do during that time where Maybe the uncertainty comes in and there's just different coping mechanisms to deal with it. I definitely think, you know, Dan McDonald has a lot of things to say and he's, um, you know, he's made some pretty good points over the years. And I think Abraham Hicks definitely has a lot of good information. I know there was a time where definitely like Louise Hay, Abraham Hicks, they were like people that I really loved listening to. Also like Wayne Dreyer and um, several others. Tony Robbins, people like that, that are just super motivated and um, good role models. So, yeah. That's definitely a good call to action. Like, how can kids, you know, better their daily realities? Yeah, like listen to, you know, listen to spiritual teachers on YouTube or through a podcast, listen to inspirational content. It's going to give you a lot more to think about and Mm -hmm. you're going to see there's so much more in this world than uh, what we're seeing. So about, like, when did health start to become a major focus for you? Was that during high school? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of all began, it kind of all started with this transition mm-hmm. from an, an unhealthy standard American diet, consuming drugs and alcohol and methamphetamines, to to, to then wanting to redirect my path mm-hmm. um, to veganism. Um, so... When I was 16, I uh, I met this friend. He was a bit of a role model to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he was maybe like three years older than me, and he was vegan. He was just getting into the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw that, you know, this drugs and alcohol thing wasn't going to be sustainable. For sure. I found this, found this new friend that was inspiring. He was vegan. He was all into hell. I really liked his, like, aura, mm-hmm. so to speak. I loved his confidence. And I saw that connection between his diet and his lifestyle to mm-hmm. who he was. And I was like, wait, maybe I don't have to drink and smoke and, and do these drugs to make me be a certain person for short term. Maybe I can actually reach that that state that I get, that high I get from these drugs, but in a natural way. Mm-hmm. So, so that shifted my focus to health and realizing that, hey, like maybe we can feel this high, this natural high through uh, diet and exercise. Totally. So I began on that path. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I think I've heard so many people that, you know, come to a healthy lifestyle that sometimes don't have like a squeaky clean past. And I think it's motivating to hear that because I think people do go through different times in their life where certain habits and behaviors are more easy to fall into or more, you know, of a coping strategy than others. But I don't think like just because, I mean, if there's any people out there, any kids out there, anybody listening to this that is like, oh, well, like I, you know, maybe do that stuff. It's like, there's always time to change. Like there's always times where you can 
switch that path and choose to be inspired by somebody else or just say, all right, this is it. I'm going to stop. I want to make things different or gradually transition towards something else or just keep an open mind and learn about a different way to do things because whatever kind of, you know, life that you were maybe born into doesn't have to be the life that like drags you down. Like you can make the most out of it and you can change and you can evolve with that. And I mean, you know, I think like I really admire the fact that you like even with your cataract situation, it's like it didn't let keep you from stopping riding a bike. You know what I mean? Like, sure, there might be some dangers there. There's plenty of people that could be like, all right, well, you know, I have this eye issue and maybe it's not the safest thing. So I'm just like not going to do it. But I'm like proud of you that it didn't stop you. And, you know, I think like to have the insight that you did and have this friend as a mentor so young was such a um, good thing, you know, to have somebody in your life. Cause I feel like when we meet people in our lives, especially, you know, in person that have that glow, that aura, that, um, energy, it can be so like, it can just so draw you in and make you want to be like, dude, like, what are they doing? Like, that's so awesome. You know, like I want to be like this person and, um, you know, so I'm, glad that that was able to be a catalyst for greater change in your life yeah definitely definitely it's good to experiment at a young age you're still open yeah got time got nothing to lose definitely use this time to experiment and anything that sounds healthy sounds beneficial go for it so as you got into veganism like how did that process take place? Like, were you making your own food? Like, were your parents okay with it? Like, how did that all begin? Yeah, my my parents were super supportive about me changing to a vegan lifestyle. So supportive that they would give me $100 every week to spend on food, which was huge. Yeah, which was huge. I wish Um, I would have had that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, so that was that was huge to get that support from my parents. It was amazing because they they saw how unhealthy I was eating. Yeah, I would eat so unhealthy. I wouldn't eat anything my parents would make. They would make like traditional Lithuanian food. Yeah, you know that was more closer to whole foods. But of course, there was meats, dairy, mm-hmm. fish in it. Mm-hmm. And I chose to eat the processed junk foods, the frozen burgers, the frozen pizzas. Yeah, literally pitos for breakfast. I'd eat ice cream for lunch. Like I would just eat anything that sounds you know, like every kid's <laughs> dream to be honest. <laughs> I know. And, and my parents kind of let me do that, which was, which was <laughs> nice. They wouldn't buy, me, they wouldn't buy, you know, buy unlimited amounts of those foods. Yeah. But that, that's all I wanted to eat. So when my right. parents, uh, that I wanted to go on the other side of the spectrum and start eating hundred percent healthfully, um, they were a little bit shocked at first. They, they had a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my dad, of course, brought into the, the question of, you know, we were evolved to eat meat. Where are you going to get your protein, et cetera? Yeah. But, I mean, I, I had, I'm pretty sure, I, you know, I had some good answers for that. And I just kind of um, – and then they kind of accepted that and mm-hmm. they supported me full on from there. So there was never really any a, any – battles or you know between us and trying to trying to control me in in what way to eat so they were super uh, super supportive and then uh yeah i was creating all my own own food Mm -hmm. um 
So how did you come across the raw vegan lifestyle and how did that compare to veganism? I got, I came across the raw vegan lifestyle. You know, I was on this journey, not alone. I was, you know, I had the support from this, from this mentor to speak, the same person that got me to go vegan when I was 16 and he's mm-hmm. a bit older than me. And uh, we were kind of, we were on the path together, you know, I was just following exactly what he was eating. Mm-hmm. You know, there's different ways of eating, eating vegan. Right. Um, there's many different ways. So we were always on the hunt of figuring out what was the healthiest way to eat. So we weren't in it 100% for ethics, but we were, we were also in it for our health. Right. Um, so he was doing research at the time. He was uh, eating a, a high-fat, raw, gourmet, vegan diet. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's eating lots of superfoods and, and that ultimately, uh, you know, that got, it, got, that got me into raw food because he was studying this stuff. So he passed on the information to me mm-hmm. and, um, that eventually led to, you know, you know, now we know there's this raw vegan diet Now, what's the healthiest raw vegan diet. And that led me to a 80, 10, 10, uh, high fruit based diet, mm-hmm. which, um, which we all learned, which we both learned yeah. from, you know, other YouTubers, yeah. uh, other YouTuber, YouTubers online. Yeah, I know for me it was like, there was actually this lady that used to be on YouTube. Um, she might still be on YouTube, but she was raw vegan at the time. And she was like the first YouTuber I came across because I got into raw foods after my I started my yoga practice. And I practice hot yoga. So I was like, what is the best diet that would be supportive to this? So I like looked up. Bikram yoga and um diet and like this lady popped up and she's doing raw foods and I think she was I don't remember even what her YouTube name was but after watching a ton of her videos I came across like Durian Rider and Freely and this is like probably almost 10 years ago when they hardly even had any videos up <laughs> and yeah. um just you know got exposed to the different um books and people that they would talk about and different information definitely 80 10 10 was super important um during that whole transition that book um and i was eating a lot of bananas i don't think i was doing like 30 a day but i was definitely having you know the banana smoothies and the watermelons cut in half and tons of orange juice and all that stuff and feeling amazing you know, I remember the first summer that I went raw, I was just like riding my bike all over the place and like going to yoga and just eating a ton of food. And like, it was, it was so awesome. Like it was better than I had ever felt in my life. So yeah. And like following all the YouTubers, it's like, you know, social media has been such a tool, I think for a lot of people to use and connect with because you can connect with people that otherwise, like it goes underneath like mainstream media. It's kind of like this underground society sort of like where people can just talk about like whatever they want to and you can connect with people that maybe are speaking a different truth that resonates with you a little bit more and um you know that definitely resonated with me so i was stoked to find raw foods and like people that were doing it and kicking butt in the process so yeah yeah so what made you want to become a chef um, so again, I mean, I was just, I kept being influenced externally and, and, and this mentor again, what was a chef himself and mm-hmm. he would make all this food. He would literally invite me over for dinner and he would cook, cook me up like, you know, what would cost like a $30 
you know, raw food meal at a restaurant and yeah. he would like make that for me and, and he helped me make it with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it was an external influence and, mm-hmm. uh, he was definitely was passionate about it. So that made me, uh, want to start chefing as well. And I know where we first met was at the Woodstock Fruit Festival. I know my first time that I went was back in 2013. So were you at that one? Yeah. I feel like you've been at like every Woodstock that I've ever gone to. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that was my first year too. Yeah, that was a good year. There were so many people there. Like I think there was like over 700 people there. That was like a really fun – that was a fun year. I mean it's always a good time every single year, but – you know, it's a lot of people to feed typically. And I know that you've been in the kitchen there helping prep all the food. So for people who don't know, like, what that kitchen environment's like, please fill us in. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, first year in 2013, I attended. Mm -hmm. And then ever since 2014, I volunteered in the kitchen. And then this past year, I was actually flown out and compensated for working in the kitchen. Sweet. So, so I've gotten a lot of experience in there, and um, it's it's hectic, you know. <laughs> you're creating you're creating food for 500 people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's absolutely hectic. There's a lot of bodies in there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of tasks yeah. being executed. So, for someone to lead a position like, for instance, I was leading the dinner prep. Mm-hmm. I was responsible of creating all the salad bar mm-hmm. toppings and, and the fruit that we were serving. Uh, I was not creating the sauces. That was Chris Kendall. But I had this big uh, big job to, you know, get my team to to uh, to be on track to create all these salad bar toppings at a certain time. So mm-hmm. for me, you know, I had to, you know, keep everything organized and make sure all these tasks were being done. So for me, managing 15 other people you know, I had to, I had to think about everything. I couldn't let anything uh, slip through the cracks and make sure everything was being done. Mm-hmm. And um, but you know, it, it got a little easier as the days went on. But the first day, I remember, I, I was tripping out for sure. <laughs> like it, it was like it was about to hit like you know dinner time. It was yeah. like we're serving at five thirty, and and not everything was ready because mm-hmm. that day I was trying to control everything that was happening in the kitchen. Yeah, and everything. That was sent out in the dining hall Mm -hmm. and the first day we were creating a fresh batch batch of everything where the the days go on there was a lot of leftovers Mm -hmm. so there was some items that we didn't have to create so the first day was pretty hectic and Mm i like i didn't execute completely on time i remembered um yeah it was it was hectic but you know good learning experience yeah and um, at the, as the days went on, it did get easier because, you know, these long tasks that I had to manage and get my team to do um, were, you know, long tasks. And sometimes they'll be like, you know, spiralizing zucchini for three hours. And yeah. I, I won't have to, you know, think about think about much about what they're doing. And mm-hmm. um, same with a lot of other tasks, you know, people were peeling carrots there were shredding carrots there's a lot of machines being used Mm -hmm. like food processors blenders um you know you know big commercial machines you know robo coops stuff like that and Mm -hmm. and any any way we could process uh, a certain vegetable into a a desirable way to eat on a salad yeah yeah that's like i mean dinner time at the woodstock fruit festival is where it's 
at. I mean, people are just like out on the lawn eating. But I mean, it's a time when people are really, really wanting to eat a lot, too, because most of the time at the festival, people are out exercising and doing activities like all day. And of course, eating fruit and stuff and the quality of the fruit is typically amazing. Um, You know, like the watermelons, the hammy melons. I know those were always some of my favorite things to eat whenever I was there. And um, just some of the tropical fruit. Um, lots of dragon fruit, grapes, stuff like that. So, I mean, there's that all day, but I mean, I feel like everybody always looks forward to the dinner salads, like a lot in dressings. So that's like quite a task for sure. Yeah, definitely. Everyone needs to get their savory fix. So Mm -hmm. they load up on the vegetables. Totally. Well, what advice do you have for people who are trying to eat plant-based, um, and eat affordably, like train, you know, and fuel for endurance and like really enjoy the process of it. So my best advice to eat plant-based affordably and be able to train with what you're eating and, and, and make it enjoyable. I would say, um, well, if you want to go bare bones and, and, and pay the least amount for your food, you know, you could eat, you know, rice, beans, corn, these these peasant foods for, in, for per, per se yeah. um, these foods are incredibly inexpensive. Now some people might have the misconception that a vegan diet's expensive, but that's absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not true. The cheapest foods on the planet are plant foods, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean you can see how inexpensive a fifty pound or a twenty five pound bag of rice is at an Asian grocery store. Mm-hmm. So I'd load up on you know. If you wanted to do it super affordably, I'd load up on those foods. You know, again, wheat pasta you could do, rice, beans, corn. And then if you wanted some fresh produce, you can always just, you know, add a head of lettuce into it. And um, if you wanted some fresh fruit, eat some bananas. Bananas are probably the cheapest fruit on the market. Mm -hmm. And then with all those starches that you're eating, you're obviously going to need some flavor. So, you know, hit it with some hot sauce, hit it with some soy sauce. You know, simple sauces, add some greens to it, and you got a perfectly, you know, healthy, whole food, plant-based meal. So that's a way to do it affordably. And, you know, and that food's going to, that food's going to fuel you 100%. Mm -hmm. Totally. You know, especially coming from a standard American diet, you're going to feel a huge difference in your energy levels when you cut fat and you cut the salt. Yeah. When you cut the oil out of your diet, especially, and you start eating high carbohydrate, you're going to want to turn into an athlete. Totally. When you eat so much carbohydrate, I've noticed that I, you know, I want to go and move. I want to go and train. Definitely. And, um, and enjoying the process, you know, like eat the foods you love eating. You know, there's many options on a plant-based diet. There's so many, I mean, there's hundreds of grains, hundreds of different fruits, hundreds of different vegetables. Hundreds of different sauces you can get at the grocery store. There's hundreds of different, you know, frozen foods. There's probably, you know, if you go to Whole Foods, there's so many options of, of low fat, high carbohydrate, no oil, low salt, um, prepared foods. Like Engine 2 diet line at Whole Foods is like a guarantee healthy product to get. Mm-hmm. If you go to Whole Foods and buy anything that's Engine 2, you'll guarantee a healthy vegan product. So I'd look into those products. And just, yeah, read ingredients to make sure you're eating healthily. Um, but, yeah, just eat the food. I mean, to enjoy the process, eat the foods you love. 
and and move your body in the way you like to, to like to move. Totally. I agree with that. I mean, even some of the cheaper foods, like I know when I was eating a lot of organic bananas, I don't really eat a lot of bananas now. I like since we're in citrus season, I love doing a lot of like citrus. In California, the citrus is like syrup, so it's amazing. But I can definitely relate. Like there were times earlier on in my yoga practice where I know I would just like do seriously like straight bananas for like a whole week, like just be eating bananas and like everything from my skin, like to my like uptake, transport and delivery of oxygen, like hemoglobin efficiency is just like so key for athletes. And I feel like eating fruits and like eating plant based, low fat, so, so makes a huge difference. So, you know, like there's ways to do it cheap. There's ways to do it more expensive. But, yeah, I think like buying in bulk and like searching for stuff that's in season is always a really good way to go. Yeah, I would agree 100 percent. Yeah. So how do you choose to fuel yourself now? Because I know like you've you have experience with cooked, you have experience with raw. And I know recently you were eating like raw for 30 days or like at least a while you were like and seeing some good results with that. But what's your take on veganism now? And. Um, what do you feel like is fueling you best right now? So what's fueling me best right now is uh, 100% raw, high-carb, low-fat, vegan diet. Mm-hmm. Um, you, and that's what I'm eating right now. Yeah. And I, I went raw for 30 days after being raw till 4 for a long time. Mm-hmm. And raw till 4 was a great diet. Yeah. Um, but it always led me to overeating during dinner time. Mm-hmm. And I never quite got the weight loss results I've always wanted and yeah. you know I never had like the flattest belly and I, I, I always I always seemed to be bloated and I just thought that was normal I mean you, yeah. when you eat a lot of food you're supposed to be you're supposed to have a big belly you're supposed to be bloated but then you know I, I did this 30 day rocks experiment after you know being raw so far for so many years and started noticing like amazing benefits especially in weight loss and and digestion so i was i was not getting bloated as mm-hmm. i would eating these big cooked food meals um and i was recovering quicker um mm-hmm. i was running a lot when i was starting the 30 day uh, raw challenge mm-hmm. and uh starting out running like and as like a really highly active cyclist i was training about 12 hours a week on the bike mm-hmm. and my bike was in the shop it was broken so i had a uh, resort to running and i was only able to run like two or three hours a week so going down from 12 to three hours a week i was like kind of going through a little bit of withdrawal so yeah. um and <laughs> endorphin and, withdrawal <laughs> yeah and and i was only able to do three hours of running training because i'm a new runner and and running bangs up your your joints and your muscles and, and you need a, you need time to build up. So Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm, I'm, I know, I know in the past I've eaten raw, hundred percent raw and it's helped me recover. Yeah. Um, especially when I'm super sore and and destroyed from my run. So I was like, and at the same time, it's like, I'm not training as much. Like I rather keep less weight off because I didn't seem to be eating less even though I was training. So I was like, it's, I, I, you know, I want to experience, you know, I want to experience uh, great health and mm-hmm. I want to stay lean. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go raw. I'm going to recover quicker from my runs. And, um, and I lost a ton of weight, even though I didn't decrease my uh, amount of volume of training. I got back into cycling. I was training the same amount and I dropped like 15 pounds. 
And that is humongous as yeah. an endurance athlete. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be straight up honest. Like I don't feel that big of a difference in energy levels Mm -hmm. from raw to raw till four. But what the biggest difference I've noticed is weight loss. If I've cut 15 pounds, I'm saving a lot of time on my, you know, running PRs and my cycling PRs. And especially I, I love hill climbing. Mm Mm-hmm. And the less you weigh, the faster you're going to go. So this is a huge advantage for for endurance athletes. Yeah. So I'm trying to stay on the path of eating 100% raw, but I've had struggles. After the 30 days, um, I did that successfully, and I hit a day where I ran out of food, right? Yeah. And I work in a kitchen where I create a lot of raw, raw gourmet mm-hmm. desserts and snacks, and I had a bite of some, and that just went into a downward a down, a, you know, a decline spiral into yeah. uh, binging out on high fat, high salt, gourmet raw foods and, and having a little bit of cooked food and experiencing that same bloating and, and putting on more weight and then realizing raw is raw is king, but it, it's a hard battle. And, yeah. um, for me, like when you're coming it. off of like all of those like addictions and stuff like and I can totally relate to like what you're saying because it's happened to me before too where I'll be like you know raw for a really really long time and it's like over the almost like nine years now that I've been doing this like there's definitely been times where I've hit similar situations where I'm either like running out of stuff or um like sick and just like you know, like raw food didn't seem appetizing. So I just went for something just to fuel myself. Um, you know, it's kind of in a compromised mindset for sure. I feel like all of those experiences, it's like you kind of always think it's going to be like worth it to go down that route. And, you know, having like raw gourmet, having some salty stuff, maybe some stuff that has like a little bit of oil in it from time to time. It's like, you know, from time to time, if you're capable and you know yourself and you know your limits and your boundaries and all that kind of stuff with those things, um, just like any kind of like sort of controlled substance, I feel like that's fine if you feel like you want to experiment with that. But I feel like in my experience, you know, it just it's led me to realize that like 95, 99% raw is not 100% raw and you definitely don't get the results of 100% raw by doing 99 or 95 like you gotta like if you want the results of eating 100% raw you have to do it all the time day in day out and it's like you know for me I get so motivated to eat 100% raw foods now and like not go back to eating cooked food because I know what it feels like in those times where you get sucked down that spiral and you're just like oh dude like this does not feel good like you know and sometimes I feel like we have to learn the lesson over and over again until it makes sense and like especially if you don't have any like major health issues because I think sometimes people go raw vegan because like they have like insane health issues and like they have to change and like they're never looking back you know that type of stuff like I get that but I feel like it's sometimes even harder to maintain it when like you're just like no like I'm super healthy like I'm pretty lean like I don't really have much to lose but then you know when you put that substance in your system you're just like dude this is not like no thanks you know like and I feel like eating 100% raw there's almost like no negative side effects to it and that's if you're doing it correct that's if you're getting in daily calories that you need to um 
also making up for like what you do in exercise and stuff because I think if you under eat if you don't get a variety of food in you're not going to feel your best and I mean that's been my experience with it like it's still important to eat an adequate amount of food just get it from raw plant sources and you know digestion overall functioning mental like all the processes that take place in your body just function at the highest level really if you make it work I think, and it's so worth it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so one thing I want to add to that is, um, yeah, so I have this uh, super addictive personality. And yeah. when, when you go 100% raw for 30 days, you start <laughs> eating these high oil, high, high salt, cooked or raw gourmet foods, you realize how stimulating they are. Yeah, definitely. You know, and that's, that's what led me to like a downward, downward spiral of binging out on these foods. Yeah. Um, because they're just super addicting. And for me, you know, it's better for me to just go hundred percent and, and not have a lick of it because yeah. a, a small lick turns into a handful and then turns into a pound of like, you Cashes. know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, that's just me. Yeah. And I, I think, I yeah, it takes like sometimes like knowing your limits you know, and I feel like it's always good to sometimes rebel against what we know is best, but then learn from those experiences in the process. And that's like, that's life. You know, we're going to fall down sometimes. We're going to make, you know, maybe not the best decision, but if we can learn from those times and apply it to our benefit, I feel like that's where you get to live without having regrets for things and um, make the most out of everything. So moving along... Um, you know, you've been cycling and doing triathlons for a while now. How did that start? Um, so triathlon, I just started actually. I just mm-hmm. started incorporating running and swimming to my cycling training mm-hmm. um, in pursuit to want to do an Ironman in about one to two years from now. But I've been cycling for four and a half years now. And um, I, uh, when I was 18, I moved out. From my, I moved out from my parents' home, mm-hmm. so from Chicago. I moved to Boston, started my life there, and I didn't have a car, so mm-hmm. I invested in a bike through yeah. transport. And um, I enjoyed commuting, uh, and then I watched a few YouTube videos mm-hmm. um, about you know pro bike racing. Yeah, and someone was narrating over it, and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. So mm-hmm. on my commute rides, I kind of thought I was a pro, and I would think about. <laughs> started thinking about cadence and power mm-hmm. and speed and then i uh you know started going on on group bike rides at a local bike shop mm-hmm. and then it all started from there and, and wanting to progress as a as a cyclist and, and yeah now wanting to do an ironman nice so what kind of bike do you currently ride and how often do you do things or like you know what duration do you typically like to do for your training like on a daily or weekly basis um, so I like on Strava, if I'm, if I'm training, uh, mm-hmm. running and running, swimming and biking, I, I like put up 15 hours a week of training mm-hmm. and, um, it, it depends, it varies if I didn't have a bike. Cause sometimes my bike is, is, uh, is broken or, or there's a part that's broken. It's in the shop and it's getting fixed. Yeah. So then training volume goes down a little bit cause I can, I can rack up a lot of hours on the bike, Yeah, but a little bit limited in swimming as well but to maintain good fitness i like i'll I have to do at least 10 hours of training a week mm-hmm. and then uh, i'll bump it up to 15 if i if i'm feeling it 
and I want to build more fitness. Nice. So, I mean, I know like me coming from like more of a yoga background, like I do enjoy, I probably would love doing triathlons, but I do not like running because, well, I don't want to say I don't like running, but it's not my favorite form of activity just due to the fact that like I had hip surgery when I was three and after years of dancing, like my knees and my hips can tend to be a little bit more sensitive, I guess. And um, although like I'm used to doing a lot of jumping and a lot of activity and my legs are super strong, like I still just don't like to exercise in that way because I feel like it can be more harder on my joints. And But I do really prefer like cycling and swimming and spinning and doing that type of stuff. Like I love, love, love swimming so much. So, um, but I think, you know, whenever I do those types of things, like I do kind of view it as a meditation and there's an aspect to it similar to yoga where there are times where you have to pay attention to your breathing and um, you know, balance your thoughts and all that type of thing. So, I mean, what do you use your time for when you're training and like, how do you deal with maybe thoughts that come up if there are thoughts? Cause I know for me sometimes like I totally just go into a state where like, I'm not even like my thoughts just completely shut off and it's just like full gas. Like I'm just like going a hundred percent intensity. <laughs> like, but, um, yeah. Like what type of things come up and like, how do you use that time as meditation? Yeah. So those 15 hours of training I put in, the t- you know, what I do with those hours, you know, and a lot of that, a lot of those hours are just base miles. So a lot of, a lot of training that's in an aerobic zone where it's, it's comfortable pace. If I was uh, running next to someone or I was cycling next to someone, I could still hold a conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're suffering and you're totally occupied with putting the power down. Yeah. Um, so I'm usually listening to music or I'm listening to podcasts mm-hmm. or some days I'll be totally unplugged and um, just um, get motivated by, you know, just the presence of being in a beautiful area. Sometimes you kind of, uh, you kind of get disconnected from your environment if you're blasting too much uh, audio into your ears. Right. Um, but when you're unplugged, you know, I find inspiration through that, but mm-hmm. you know, what I've done, like what I would recommend for other athletes and what I like to do, you know, if you're training for a goal or you're trying to get, you know, weight loss results, you know, that's a really good time to visualize yourself to be that fit person. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really good time to dream of it. And I've done that a lot. You know, I've, I've imagined being in races and just, you know, having this passion and this, and this excitement for accomplishing a race or accomplishing a goal. So it's a good time to, to potentially manifest things. I remember in Boston, I was doing a lot of rides, 5.30 a.m. Sometimes I'll be an hour and a half in complete, complete uh, dark, you know, riding. And um, I was dreaming of living in the tropics. And for some reason, I, I had this funny feeling that I would get there. Mm-hmm. And every time I, I would just, when I would be riding, I'd be empowering myself by showing the universe I was serious about my training and then I wanted to be somewhere warmer and I would be able to train all year round. So I was empowering myself and at the same time I was dreaming big dreams and I felt like that helped manifesting. So it's a good time to really visualize on what you want to accomplish. That's really good advice. And I mean, when you're getting through that struggle, how do you get to the place where you're really loving the climb? 
Well, I mean, I'm an athlete. I mean, being an athlete is in my blood, so I love training. Mm -hmm. Um, I never struggle with not training enough. I mean, I'm always just what I love to do. Yeah. Um, I know that every single workout, even if I'm not loving it, I know I will get fitness and health benefits from it. Um, and I know I'm going to feel great afterwards. Um, and, and then during the workout, know that you're always going to improve. Like at the beginning, your knees, your hips, your ankles, your shins might be tight when you're running, yeah. when you begin. But you're going to get stronger. And when you get really – and you start getting better at something – you progress and you get really good at it, it becomes so, so much fun. Mm-hmm. So just make sure you're doing what you love and just know that with progression and when you get great, it'll be even funner. And taking that concept of the climb out of those aspects, I mean, what does the climb really symbolize to you and how is the practice of, you know, and discipline of cycling and, you know, the discipline that you keep in a lot of areas of your life affected all areas of your life? Yeah, so the climb to me is the grind, is the work. And my and I created a brand called Love the Climb in pursuit to coach other cyclists. And um I really want to put emphasis on enjoying the process, enjoying the journey. And and it's cliche as it sounds and you know, it's it's all about it's cliche as it sounds, it's all about the journey. Yeah. And it's really not about the destination and, and where you end up. For me, this life is all about personal growth. Mm-hmm. And and to me, like, the journey is it. Like, this is what I love. I love every day waking up and training and learning things about my body and progressing. Because I really just want to become the best person I possibly can. And if I was handed, you know, an Ironman, an Ironman finished race, I would get nothing from it. And maybe I'd get some status and maybe I'd look good to people, but I want to grow. I want to be a, a better person. And, and the journey is really what's going to make me that. So I'm all about putting emphasis on enjoying that process because the journey is everything. Totally. So how did you get to the point where you are now that you live in Hawaii? And what has this process as well as the island taught you? Um. So I got to Hawaii I was offered a, a job opportunity here. I was chefing back in Boston, so mm-hmm. I gained some raw food chefing skills there. Yeah, I built a solid work ethic. One of my ex ex coworkers left that job mm-hmm. and uh, moved out to California. She was connected with this one person that wanted to begin a startup here on the Big Island, selling raw vegan snacks and mm-hmm. raw vegan foods in general here on the Big Island. She didn't want to take the job. So she asked me if I wanted it, and that kind of helped manifest. And, and I, I, de- I was definitely up for it because for sure. I was like, "Well, like I'm going to work the same job, make the same income, but my environment's going to change." Mm-hmm. Um, so I moved out to the Big Island here because of that, and um, the process, and what the island has taught me. Um, so I'm in a, I live down at South Point of the Big Island. It's super isolated here. It's mm-hmm. a country town probably like no more than a thousand people living in my town. So you have a lot of time to yourself. Yeah. There's not a lot of people for me to engage with. I've ha- I like, I have zero friends here. Yeah. I'll see my friends. When I go up North to Hilo mm-hmm. um, and, and I'll hang out with them. But um, I have a lot of time to work on my own goals mm-hmm. or be, uh, you know, or be stuck in my own head. And um, yeah. 
I, I'm trying to work on myself to be as productive as possible, build a solid work ethic, and um, make sure there's nothing, there's no insecurities or anything internally that's holding me back mm-hmm. to putting in the work and, and, and accomplishing those goals. Nice. So aside from some of the other life events that we've already discussed, are there any other ones that really stand out to you? Um, you know, life events, challenges that you, you know, really allowed you to see what you're made of and that, you know, maybe looking back, it was a difficult time, but now you can make a lot of sense of it and be grateful for it. Definitely. Um, I guess I'll just talk about a recent one. I mean, you know, and it relates to like, um, trying to connect with this one girl that I really liked and it was here on the Island. Um, and, and it, and it, I mean, there's, and it, it's like a girl that I really liked, but it just didn't work out. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't, even it was all because of, of me and my insecurities. So, and, and at the time I was trying to blame her, I was trying to blame external things of, of just not being good enough. But overall it came down to my insecurities of, um, not being at the place where I'd like to be, like maybe I'm not making a good enough income, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe I'm not like completely a hundred percent independent. So those insecurities came up and, and made me realize that like, you got to own that. Yeah. You got to own those insecurities. You got to own those insecurities and be what you are. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it taught that that's like the biggest, that's the most recent challenge I could remember. And, um, it just, yeah, told me to, it taught me to own myself and, um, yeah, just work, just keep working on, on becoming that person that you want to be, but just owning it. Totally. Well, I really appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing that. Cause I know like, it's not easy always to open up about like things that happen in our, you know, relationships that we have with people. And I think relationships really can serve as a point of growth. Like, you know, sometimes people come into our lives and they like ignite something in us and they, you know, cause us and want to inspire us to look at ourselves differently and they can ignite a lot of different emotions. Sometimes, you know, it can be seen, you know, on a spectrum of being positive or negative or however you want to see it. But, you know, they definitely offer a lot of growth opportunities for us. And even if it doesn't kind of work out how we think it will, I think there's always a lot of lessons we can learn from it. And I think it's awesome that you're taking what you can from that experience and moving forward with that mindset. It's pretty wise. Yeah, thanks. No worries. Yeah. So what's next for you and how are you hoping to connect with people through social media this coming year and in years to come? Um, so I create video blogs on YouTube mm-hmm. and, um, I just want to keep those going, uh, keep sharing my training and my fitness endeavors on that channel. Um, and I hope, you know, I hope to inspire people through, through those videos. And, um, you know, I, I'd like to work hands on with other people and coach other cyclists. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to keep hustling on social media, just trying to get more attention to this to what I'm trying to accomplish and um, create content around that to uh, help coach other cyclists. Nice. And just to leave the audience with a final thought, like, do you have any advice for the youth? And maybe we can even kind of gear it more towards, you know, a male audience uh, in regards to like making the most out of their lives and discovering their infinite potential. Um, 
the biggest thing that I, I'm learning that's so beneficial for my own life, like I feel like I've progressed a good amount at the age I'm at. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, of course, some people, you know, are more successful than I am at the age I'm at and, you know, and stuff like that. But depends how you define success, part, though. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But um, I think the best piece of advice I'd give and a piece of advice that's helped me a lot is I won't I wouldn't think so much about the destination and where you want to end up because that could always change. Mm -hmm. Just focus every single day on being as productive and as efficient as possible. Mm -hmm. Just just work work on your work ethic. Mm-hmm. And and that's going to really, I think that's going to determine w- whether you're going to be successful or not. I think if I'm, if I'm waking up every day and I'm doing something and I'm not pondering or I'm not thinking about ideas, I'm, I'm executing and every waking hour I'm giving everything I got in the, in the, in the search for my dreams and the search for, for those achievements you know, and that's, that's all about the journey. So I'm just focusing on that every, I focus every day on the work ethic, on the work and on the journey. Um, so that's the best piece of advice I can give. Just focus on yourself and your work ethic first then, and, and then trying to dream of your accomplishments. And love the that's climb. Impor- yeah. Yeah. That's, it's important to uh, dream of the end goal, but just make sure you're putting in the work and make sure you're matching your, your ambitions with your actions. Absolutely. Gitas, thank you so much for sharing your time and your energy with us. I'm so grateful to have you on. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you, Victoria. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you for tuning in to Vibrant Raw Living. Remember that you are just as worthy, deserving, and capable of achieving and maintaining your dreams as much as anyone else. If you have found this podcast useful, please subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with your friends and family. You can find links to my Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, and Snapchat in the show notes below. And if you'd like to follow me for updates, which I only share via email, come on over to my website at victoriamadian.com. I love you and I'm wishing you a wonderful day. Go out there and discover your infinite potential. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to sapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.